Welcome to Ask Dr. Julie Hanks, a safe place for healing conversations that educate and empower you to prioritize your dreams, revolutionize your family, and personalize your faith. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Hanks, a psychotherapist and coach offering online courses and programs to help women all over the world heal themselves and their relationships. Join me here every week as I coach a listener through a specific challenge and empower them with tools to find healing. Hi, friends. I am excited to have Richie T. Stedman with me. He's my uh, podcast editor. Hi, Richie. Hello, hello. We're going to do another frequently asked questions. So Richie's going to read the questions, and I'll answer them, and we're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, and maybe I'll ask some follow-up questions, too. So hey, if, there, if there's some deal. stuff that people go, oh, but I wish someone would have asked, you know, a little bit beyond, maybe we can have that discussion. So here we go. Okay. In no particular order except for numerical on this paper. (laughs) Uh, Number one, when do I know if I am depressed or just in a rut? Great question. So it's, is your daily functioning being impacted? So that's a big question. So are you having problems like eating, sleeping, working, relationship problems? So if yes, then it's probably depression. But is it beyond maybe one day? Like if I have one day where I'm just like, man, I feel super off. If it happens again the next day, is that would maybe be the indicator? Or even just one day where it's like, man, I can't do this today. I would say more, more than a week. I mean, everybody has down days. But here's the thing. A lot of people wait too long to mm-hmm. get assessed. And so that's, we generally wait too long. <laughs> I rarely see people who are like, oh, no, you're not depressed. It's only been two days. Like no one checks it out. So if it's been a week or two and there's severe impairment, yeah, get an evaluation for sure. Um, Everybody gets in ruts where, you know, things aren't feeling as exciting as they Mm -hmm. usually do, or you're not getting as much pleasure from things that you, you have. Ask yourself too, am I grieving? Is there something that I'm grieving? And we often think of grief as death, but you can be grieving lost expectations. You can be grieving lost you know, relationships or breakups. So that can kind of impact your mood as well. And when you mentioned um, getting assessed, that's obviously with a, a therapist, mm-hmm. a, a doctor even, yeah. or how would people know who to go to? Yeah. So you can go to your primary care doctor or you can go to a licensed therapist and get an evaluation. Most MDs like family practice or general practitioners or internal medicine, they can do a quick screening for depression and and give you a referral to a therapist. Yeah, and don't wait too long is what I'm hearing. Yes, don't yeah. wait too long. Uh, number two, how to overcome the fear, etc., that stalls my fulfilling of personal goals, wishes, and dreams. And, you know, certainly with the turn of the new year, that's probably what's on a lot of people's mind, I bet. Yeah, yeah, I'm not a fan of yeah. New Year's resolutions. I'm not. <laughs> I just pick things that I really want to do. And then I do them because I really want to do them, not mm-hmm. shoulds. Yeah. Anyway, okay, fear. In my own life, I just decided fear is not going to stop me. I don't know how to overcome fear. Uh-huh. I just know how to do it anyway. Yeah, and I think just by practicing, it's a skill just to go, okay, yep, I'm scared of this. It's a risk, and I'm going to choose to engage or do this or you know, write this book or whatever you want to do. As someone who sort of uh, lives in that kind of fear a little bit, this yeah. question isn't from me. I promise. I <laughs> you just read planted it from, this. Uh, 
But is there any value to walking out the if then, like if I do this and it's a disaster, what that looks like? Does that? Oh yeah, that's does that a great. Help eliminate fear, or, or it, there are other things like that that people could do that would go. It doesn't okay. help eliminate it, but it does help you get clear about what you're afraid of. Hmm. So a good phrase is, and then what? And then what? So what's what's something that you? What, What's an example of some, a fear that you have? Well, you have a tremendous uh, podcast, and I've thought about doing something. Uh, I'm not a, a mental health person or anything like that, but uh, I've thought about doing a new podcast okay. and have just been, I, don't, I guess, fearful, sort of scared of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm scared of? I'm scared that no one will like it, and that's okay. part of the reason why I want to do it. I don't know you know, why I want that, that uh, like pleasing people mm. or, or mm-hmm. you know, that. Way to go. Good job. Way to go. You did Validation. that. Validation. And it's better almost for me to not do it and be like, I bet they probably would like it than do it and have people affirm okay. no one cared. And so if I do a podcast and no one listens to it or fewer people listen to it than I hope, then what? Right. What? Yeah. Uh, then, uh, well, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think that that's probably as far as I've even gone with it. Right. <laughs> that's why yeah. we're doing this. Yeah. So can you answer that? Yeah. Then um, what? I feel sad. Well, can well, I stop doing the podcast? Yeah. Then I just let it go out of my life. Or what else might? Um, I guess I would. I would be worried because I don't know if I'm a healthy enough person that if people were, if people didn't show up like I kind of hoped that they would. Yeah. I'm. I think maybe I'd be a little bit worried. Like, oh man, people really don't like me. Okay. And then having to face. Oh, people really don't like me. And what okay. does that mean? And why, you know, and all <laughs> yeah. of these things that are just, yeah. it's it's almost easier to just be like, nah, I, I'm one day, I might do that. Yeah. And so what if some people don't like your podcast? Well, as we talk about it, so what is an, is an idea that I can sort of adapt? But I think that that, like I would have really hurt feelings or, yeah. you know, I can sometimes get sort of swept up into... You know, nobody likes me. Okay. Not enough people like me. It's actually no, no one. And okay. I can then find myself in a place that is darker than I want to, All right. to put myself in. So I'm saying, what if you people like your podcast? And you're saying, what if what if they don't like me? Right. Right. Right? So that's telling me that you're over-identifying with your creative product. Mm-hmm. So a podcast is not you. Right. And logically, you, you I get can that. hear that. Yeah. Right. And and I've had to do a lot of work personally in order to put out the amount of stuff that I put out there right. to just, it's like, it's not me. Yeah. You can you can say that was a stupid podcast or that was, I, I disagree with this, but it's not me. Yeah. And so kind of creating a little bit of a healthier distance and not over-identifying with your output can, and, can be really helpful in alleviating some of the fear. And people do that, I think, probably what, all over the place, right? Parents oh, yeah. with kids. Oh, yeah. A, a spouse with other spouse. Any, you mm-hmm. know, their person with their work. It's right. It's not particular to this. I just want to make sure that yeah. I'm opening it up so it's not like free therapy session right now with <laughs> I Dr. turn Hanks. everything into free therapy <laughs> sessions. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's go to question number three as okay. we go through these frequently asked questions. How can I actually communicate my needs, boundaries, beliefs in a way that is clear and assertive. Mm, okay. So read, how can I communicate my needs? So how can I actually communicate my needs, boundaries, and beliefs? It sounds like they know. Okay. And then maybe have even shared 
but then people don't respect them or they're not doing it in a way that people, you know, because yeah, yeah. that emphasis on actually communicate, it, it makes it sound like they're, they've tried, but maybe not. Okay. So a lot of people don't even know what their needs, boundaries, and beliefs are. So that's the first thing. So it uh-huh. sounds like this person might. Uh-huh. Um, I have some favorite phrases for making requests, and that's, it would mean a lot to me if. Yeah. You know, when I'm talking that you don't talk over me or that uh, you give me credit for the report that I did and not take credit. So yeah. it's just kind of a nice phrase to, it sounds kind. And, and, and to speak to that, it's not yeah. unkind either. Like you're saying, it sounds kind. I don't, I don't think that there's a kind or an unkind to it. It just yeah, is. It's just, it's just like, yeah, this is a request that I have. Mm-hmm. I think when you set boundaries and, and you're communicating boundaries, it's important to not step on their side of the court. So we can only control ourselves. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we try, we set boundaries to control other people. But it's really about what's okay and what's not okay for you. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Is yeah, there kind an of example? like a, you shouldn't do that, but you know, people you don't want people to speak into your life. I think about this like the the if we can be very stereotypical, like yeah. the mother in law who wants to speak into the new relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And the wife or the husband who had, who ultimately just has to say, "We're not doing this." Right. The way you know you, we're raising our children the way that we want to to raise the children. Mm-hmm. We're not, you know, whatever that experience yeah. may be. So the boundary would be, I'm not open to parenting input from you, yeah. so please stop. It's about, this is about me, not, you need to stop telling us what to do with yeah. our kids, and you need to... Or some sort of judgment around how that parenting is occurring, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. wrong. You shouldn't teach our kids that that way, right? Right. You know? it, yeah. But if it's your kid, I mean, you you get to say how they're raised, yeah. right? Yeah. And so you can say, hey, I don't want you to say that. I don't want you to say that to my child, but you don't have to make them bad, wrong, shame. I think the hardest thing about, uh, uh, you know, people struggle with setting boundaries mm-hmm. is that people that haven't had boundaries before, when you set a boundary and then the person that you're interacting with, whether it be family or work or whatever, they're not used to you having a boundary either. Mm. And so Mm -hmm. it's hard enough to finally be like, this is the boundary that I'm setting up. And then this person is like, whoa, who's Miss Boundary, you know, McBoundaryson? Why are we doing this now? Any sort of advice for that? That happens all the time. It happens all the time in in intimate relationships and parent-child relationships. Yeah, it, um, you gotta be prepared. Be prepared for it. If you are changing the rules in a relationship, you're going to get pushback because people like homeostasis. They like the status quo. They don't like to have to alter, right? We like to do as many things on autopilot as possible because then we can use our energy and brain power for other things that require more attention. And so we do not like people to change, even if it's a good, healthy change. It's like, what? What? And so I think when you're starting to set boundaries, be prepared for pushback. And that doesn't mean you're being mean or that they're being mean. It just means you're changing. And that's hard. Let's go to the next question. This is in reference to, I'm assuming, the LDS church, but it just says church in the question. How can I respect people in the church even when their actions are harmful to marginalized members? Even when the churches. Even I, I'm guessing the so the people that are in the church, their actions, the individual members, mm-hmm. their actions are harmful to marginalized members. 
Well, I think you can respect a person without agreeing with their behavior. I mean, I just think all human beings deserve a certain level. Like everyone has worth and deserves respect, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you have to respect the behavior. So I'm going to feed in maybe something that, that I have seen okay. in, in my worship. Like if you have a bishop, a bishop, uh, you know, leader of a congregation, Relief Society president could yeah. do that as well, does something, says something that is hurtful to marginalized members, whether it be you, you're mm-hmm. the marginalized, or you're just sensitive, aware. And and so then you have to have air quotes that respect for that person or that position, but they are being hurtful. Yeah. Is that is yeah. that a different element than maybe the original question? No, I think that's a really, really good example. Again, you can treat the person respectfully and disagree, and you can let them know that was hurtful to me, mm-hmm. or that was hurtful to this, you know, LGBTQ person in our congregation, or this person of color, or whatever. It's okay to disagree with someone, but there's a certain level of respect for for their humanness that, mm-hmm. that I think we just need to always have, but that doesn't mean we need to respect their behavior or agree with it or condone it or be silent. And I think walking that out just a little bit, like I think in a lot of those scenarios, if they're in fact good leaders, they want to know if they've done something. I find a lot of the times that people don't actually know what I said was harmful. Right. And there is a way that you can address that person and say, this is harmful that isn't in the middle of a class or standing up and saying, I can't believe and storming out. Right. There's a way and an, and an appropriateness of how yeah. you can address that. There's another way to look at that question. It's how can I respect people who are in the church when the church does things that are harmful, mm. right? So it's mm-hmm. not an individual, but it's the church. Like, And people ask me that sometimes. Yeah, how can like, you even be a member of the church with what they do, that kind of thing? Right, yeah. right. And my answer is the same way I can be— I can live in a country that has hurt people. That mm-hmm. ha- I mean, our history has is full of hurting marginalized populations, and I still choose to live here, right? So it's kind of the same thing, or I choose to be in relationship with people who are flawed because everyone is flawed, and, and pretty much everyone I care about has or will hurt me in mm-hmm. some way because I care, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's—I I don't know if that's satisfactory, but it's not all or nothing, right? Very few things are like all good, all bad. I can be part of an organization and not condone certain behaviors. And actually, I speak out about things that I think are hurtful. So I think that that's kind of my response to it from that angle. The next question is, it's important to me that our kids have a relationship with Christ, but my husband doesn't want that. He thinks that Christ was just a prophet. How can we meet in the middle? Well, what's cool is you both agree that he was a good person. And what are the commonalities? Like, what are the values that Christ taught that you want to teach your children? Mm -hmm. So I would start with what are the values that are shared, whether you think he's a son of God or a prophet or a really smart person Mm -hmm. or whoever or made up. There are still values there that can be shared. And so I would really start there. What do we agree on? teaching our kids values. Is there any sort of value in saying, you know, now that we've taught you that we, you know, he taught these things and these were great. Mom says this and dad says mm-hmm. this. Is that is that valuable yeah. to kids? Yeah. Mom thinks Jesus is the son of God. Dad thinks he was a really good prophet. And you get to decide what you think. 
pretty unique. I don't know that everyone does that. I think the stronger person sort of steps in and goes, it'll be this. Right, Uh." right. And that doesn't really do kids a favor. I mean, I think the healthiest way is to be honest and then give them permission to, over time, decide what they believe. Well, and it also puts the kids, I think, uh, in a position where they feel like they have to like unite with mom or dad and that, that that's something yeah. beyond what they're choosing, like, right? Who do you choose? Yeah. Who All do right, you choose? choose you this day. Is it mom or dad? Yeah. <laughs> where you you create a situation where they know they don't have to ever choose between mom and dad. Next question. How do I continue to raise my children in the church if I struggle to believe in it but love its values? Okay. I think that's totally possible. A lot of people do that. Mm -hmm. And again, I think you can focus on the values, focus on the good things. And you can also debrief with your kids after church. So, okay, what what was your lesson about? What do you think about that? I think this. I don't really think there was Jonah and the whale, Mm -hmm. but what's the value in that story? You know, Mm -hmm. you can focus on the value of it, the community, and I think we're unique in in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints that we kind of say you have to buy everything or mm-hmm. it's or nothing like it's all or nothing. Mm-hmm. And one of the messages that I try to share a lot is like that's actually not healthy, and it's it's driving a lot of people away from the church mm-hmm. because they find out one thing's not true, and then they have to throw the whole thing out. So. I think being able to have more gray area is actually really healthy. So I would say to this questioner, it's okay not to believe everything. Uh, The next question, I feel stuck in my faith crisis. How do I move forward without feeling one foot in and one foot out? Okay, faith crises are really tough, and sometimes they take years to resolve. And I just want to say that's okay. It's okay to have one foot in and one foot out. You don't have to force a permanent decision. You can kind of do what you feel is right for you at the time. Take if you want to go to church. Okay, I'm gonna this month. I'm gonna try going and seeing if I can really, you know, feel the spirit. And and next month I'm gonna take a break and see what that's like. You don't have to force a permanent decision. And I think. People put a lot of pressure on themselves to decide, like, I have to decide. You actually don't. There's really no rush in in making this decision. And you can always change it, too. You may choose to step back and after a few years go, you know what, I really miss that and I want to step back into it or, or vice versa. Do you feel like that's maybe leaning to the all black, all white? We right. have to Are either you be in, in or, or we're out. out. Yep. Yeah. And it's interesting. Some uh, some people online will tell me, "Well, why don't you just leave the church? Because you don't agree with everything." Mm-hmm. Like, why why would I have to leave the church if I don't agree with it? Like, from my understanding, other churches aren't like that. Right. Like, you can go, "Well, I, I kind of buy this, but not this," you know, sure. and that's okay. But in the LDS church, it, it's kind of framed in a more black and white way. The next question is: There a time period? where I should let go of my hurt feelings with my parents. goes on, they hurt me, but they act like it never happened because they never talk about it or always change the subject. Mm, it's so hard. Okay. Yep. 
There is no specific time frame, but I think it's important to remember that forgiving your parents doesn't mean what they did was okay. So some people get caught up on that. Like, if I forgive them, then it validates what they did. Mm-hmm. It, and that's not true. Like, you can forgive them and go, and what they did was very hurtful, right? Also, forgiveness is a gift that we give ourselves. So this questioner's life is going to be easier when they release that resentment. But the parent's life isn't going to change sure. either way, right? Like, it's, it's really a gift to ourselves. So it's when, whenever you're ready is the time frame. But it's important to remember that you are the one that's going to benefit the most from forgiveness. And you don't need your parents to acknowledge. I mean, it would be really nice if they acknowledged and apologized. But that's not required in order for you to forgive because forgiveness is about, it's just about you. I think with family, though, it gets tricky, especially, you know, maybe within church culture or maybe it's just families everywhere. We allow families to do to us things that we would never let anyone else do. Mm. And so there's a certain part of that forgiveness where you're like, well, I got to forgive him. It's my dad. What am I going to do? Hold a grudge? But the dad or mom or or sibling continues to offend, Mm -hmm. but we feel like we need to forgive because it's family so that we can have that sort of familial relationship. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's where boundaries come in. Your relationships with family need boundaries, too. Mm -hmm. And forgiveness does not mean continuing to let someone abuse you. Right. That's not forgiveness. That's that's just hurting yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Allowing someone to hurt you. So that you don't need to allow someone to hurt you. So you can forgive someone and say, and don't ever do that again. I'm not okay with you talking to me like that or whatever that, you know, whatever the offense is. People, geez. How about this one? How can I respectfully dialogue with family and friends about my change of faith? I wish I had more information because the answer is it really depends on the relationship. Mm -hmm. Some people feel like I I owe it to people to tell them. And I actually don't think you owe anyone an explanation because faith is a personal journey, Mm -hmm. ultimately. I mean, if you're talking about your spouse and children, that's different than like a distant cousin, right? So, but I mean, we probably both know those people who have left the church and then that seems to be everything that they talk about in social media. When you see them, like it just seems to be a a, a constant. I don't think that's what this person is saying, but they do want to, and maybe it's to your point, you, you don't owe anyone anything, but they do want to say, hey, I know that you've noticed I'm not at church. I'd like to respectfully have that dialogue of, this is why I'm not there anymore. Yeah. Well, I think just what you said is great. Like, I've had a shift in my faith. If you're open to talking about it, I'd love to share a little bit more about it. And just couching it in permission, because there will be some people that will say, nope, I don't need to know about it, or mm-hmm. it's not my business, yeah. or you know, whatever the thing may be. But if they allow that conversation, they're yeah. going to be far more open to it than it being forced on them. Exactly. Another tip is focus on your feelings, not facts. Do not get into arguing facts with active members of the church. Well, he said, well, in this No, thing, he didn't. He did it. He yep. did this. They did. You don't know. <laughs> right. So, so it's different to say, I feel betrayed mm-hmm. because I was taught certain things growing up that now have changed. So mm-hmm. I feel betrayed. You, mm-hmm. But what those things are, that's not— as important as your feelings about it. Mm -hmm. 
And nobody can argue with your feelings, but they can definitely argue and will argue with facts. Yeah. Because you're going to see things differently after, you know, going through a a faith transition or crisis. Yeah. And similar, you know, within within the church confines, they always talk about like when you bear testimony, it's testimony of feelings and those things. If you are trying to do missionary work and you try and help the conversion process with facts or with quotes and scriptures and stuff like that, most of the time it is the bearing of testimony and the feeling of the spirit, not anything else. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Last one. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. How to make peace with feeling like you were conditioned to believe that having aspirations as an LDS woman was wrong. Hmm. Okay. I like to say the heaviest. Yeah. <laughs> how to make peace. If I can speak into it, I think what it is, is a woman feels like, you know, I want to do a, to a, aspire to things, but that was, I was told you don't do that. Yeah. So I don't know that you have to make peace with that. Like you don't have to think that that was okay. Mm-hmm. Like you never have to go, well, oh, that that's okay. No, that wasn't okay for someone to limit you. Mm-hmm. And yet it's hard to move on if you are carrying that resentment forward Mm -hmm. in your life, that's actually taking energy away from what you could be doing to pursue your aspirations at this point. We talked earlier in our conversation about grief, and this is is an area where I've helped a lot of LDS women grieve. Grieving the lost time, grieving the fact that you didn't go to medical school and that was the dream you always had. Mm -hmm. So there's Letting yourself be sad about it, crying about it, journaling about it, being empathetic to the younger version of you that gave up so much. And so now, what can you do to incorporate any part of that into your life again? Now that you're aware, now that you're more awake to your own choices, Mm -hmm. what can you do? If you wanted to be a dancer, it's like, okay, you can take dance classes. You can, you know, it'll never be... The same as if you had been dancing for the last 40 years. But, sure. but you can still bring some of that joy and that passion back into your life. Yeah. So that's, um, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> A conversation about some of the most frequently asked questions. Yeah, of you. those were good. Thanks, everybody. You can email your questions to hello at drjuliehanks.com and just put on their podcast question. And we may contact you to be a guest on the show, or we may just include your question in the frequently asked questions. Hi, friends. Have you ever thought of working with me as your personal coach? Well, I have a couple of openings for women in Utah or virtually all across the globe, and I would love to work with you. I'm a licensed therapist, and I've been specializing in women's emotional health and relationships for nearly 30 years, and I've transitioned to doing personal coaching. I love it, and I'm excited to work with you. I help women making career and life decisions, communication training, moving on after children have moved out of the home or after divorce, finding your passion in life, or creating partnership in your marriage and family. I also work a lot with faith transitions and mixed faith marriages. I'm confident that I can help you create the life you love. I can't wait to work with you. And you can use code 150 OFF for $150 off priority coaching with me. Go to drjuliehanks.com slash coaching or email hello at drjuliehanks.com for more information. Again, that code is 150, so 150 
off OFF. thought, hey, I want to talk to Dr. Julie Hanks about this question. Well, now's your chance. I want to have you on my podcast. So email hello at drjuliehanks.com with your question and the reason why you want to be on the podcast. And we may just choose you for a free coaching session.